ladies, you want to stand up? <laughs> now that Connie just got comfortable. <laughs> Lord, I come, I confess. find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one that guides my heart Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you my one my righteousness oh god how i need you where sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are lord i am Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I need you, you're my one defense, my righteousness.
Thank you for this study, and I pray that you be with Heidi as she um, brings us uh, wisdom that um, you have given her to share with us. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, and thank you for the lovely, lovely music. And thank you for opening us up in prayer. <clears throat> I want to start by thanking Paul Real, Candace's husband, for stepping in for me last week and uh, teaching on something that he's very passionate about and bringing his expertise to us all. So I'm very grateful for him. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I clicked on a link thinking that I was going to see a video clip of Kirk Cameron addressing the subject of wives being submissive to their husbands. His face was showing next to the link. But no, it was not. Instead, it was a panel of three people critiquing the video comments of Kirk Cameron. The backdrop of the set was a very big picture, and it had these words, a growing pain in the ASS. And then they started the segment by reading a quote by Kirk Cameron that said this. Wives are to honor and respect and follow their husband's lead, not to tell their husbands how he ought to be a better husband. When each person gets their part right, regardless of how their spouse is treating them, there is hope for real change in the marriage, end quote. The female host, she was very fired up, and she began pointing out that if there is to be real change in any relationship, there needed to be open dialogue. And this kind of teaching was shutting that down. She referred to submission as evangelical nonsense because, and I quote her, what if you are not into taking a back seat 
to your husband? What if you are not a submissive person? What if you like equality and open dialogue? End quote. Another panelist, he was a comedian. He expressed that it would make much more sense if headship in marriage was based on person's personality or a career position or life situation. Why was it always the man, he asked. He had a problem with gender roles. Then the female host, she spoke on the importance of financial stability for women so that they could be independent and not have to be submissive to their husbands. Instead, they could have equality. That was her big thing. She wanted equality. She said, Christians hate women becoming financially stable and losing control over women. That's what the comedians had to say. But I suspect they speak for many people and they raise a lot of good questions. Does biblical submission mean that there is no open dialogue in marriage? Does biblical submission mean that there is, that a wife's, in order to practice it, they need to take a back seat to their husbands and become inferior and sacrifice equality and sacrifice open dialogue? Is biblical submission really about controlling women? And is the answer to the good marriage, women becoming financially stable and determining headship by a person's personality or career position or life situation? What is God's design? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. This should be very familiar to you. Ephesians 5, 21 says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right, we're going to skip down to verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, we can't have a course on marriage without discussing a wife's submission to her husband. And if the idea is making you cringe, then you don't understand it. This morning, we want to talk about a few things. We want to talk about what it is. We want to talk about what it isn't. We want to talk about what it's going to look like in your home. We want to talk about what message it should be sending. And then lastly, why do we do it at all? So this morning, I want to start with what it isn't. We want to talk about what a wife's 
Biblical submission does not mean, and I have a space for you on your paper to jot some of these things down. I'm going to go run over them very quickly. In fact, I'm going to be running over a lot of things quickly this morning because we've talked about so much of this before. So much of it is review. All right, number, uh, it's, I don't have these numbered, but a wife's biblical submission doesn't mean that the husband makes all the decisions. Okay, it doesn't mean that the wife is supposed to be silent or passive or mindless or without ideas of her own. It does not mean blind obedience. Or as John Piper puts it, leaving your brain at the altar. It does not mean that you don't ever confront or speak truth or give your opinion. Remember, we, ha- we talked several weeks ago about being helpers. We are helpers to our husbands, and helpers do such things. It doesn't mean that you don't express your feelings or desires. It does not mean that you are to be a doormat or a punching bag. It does not mean those things. Those are things that biblical submission does not mean. Now, the next one is controversial. It does not mean mutual submission. Okay? It does not, it's, it does not mean the same thing as mutual submission. That teaching is super popular right now. It's a very hot topic. You're going to find blogs and websites and books and articles all devoted to um, the idea of mutual submission. So I want to talk about that. I want to clarify a few things. And, and to do that, I want to start by giving you how it's typically defined. And I have this on your paper. Mutual submission. The husband and wife submit equally to each other. There is no headship in the marriage. There is no headship. Now, next to that, I want you to write feminist evangelicals. Okay, because this is what they passionately promote. Okay, this is theirs. You could also write next to it comedians. Okay, because all those comedians on the panel that were critiquing Kirk Cameron, this is what they wanted, mutual submission. In fact, anyone with an egalitarian worldview is going to insist on this one. This is the one that the modern Western world gets very excited about and is embracing. Now, what I want to do is I want to go over why you see some churches promoting it. Okay, there are churches that promote this. And, And first of all, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, they will point to this verse and they'll say, there it is. This is how we're to be in marriage. We're to be equally submitting to one another. Everyone's equal. All right, listen, we are equal. I've never taught you anything differently than that. Okay, but what they are saying is that there's no hierarchy. They're saying there is no headship. Everything's uh, 50-50. Everything's got to be fair. Um, If there's going to be any decisions, you're going to be making them jointly according to gifting and expertise and personality. The world is telling you, hey, this is what makes sense. All right, but here's our first point. Number one on your papers. Five times in the Bible, a wife is specifically called to submit to her husband. Five times, five different times, the wife is specifically called to submit to her husband. But listen, we never read the opposite. We never read the opposite about how a husband is to submit to his wife. You're not going to read that. Now, 
the feminists and the egalitarians, they have an explanation for this. They tell us that Peter and Paul, they wrote this. They had no choice. They had to write this. The culture demanded this. They said the spread of the gospel would suffer if they had not written something that was culturally acceptable and, and promoted patriarchy. All right, now listen, there's a major problem with that thinking. Major problem. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and it is not dependent on the culture's approval. And then secondly, we have to also understand that nothing that Paul has written here would have been culturally acceptable. Okay, and we're going to see more of that as we go. All right, now, that brings us back to this verse 21. What, what are we to do with this then? How are we to understand this? How are we to understand mutual submission? All right, here's what I would do. In your Bibles, next to verse 21, I would pencil in John 13 as a cross-reference if it's not already there for you. John 13 is the story of Jesus. He takes off his robe. He puts on the garments of a slave, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. All right, that story is a wonderful example of mutual submission. It is the attitude that we are all to have with each other. It should be characterizing all of us, okay? John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, the spirit-filled life isn't a fight for the top. It's a fight for the bottom. Okay, so in other words, when we come together, instead of, instead of treating each other like I'm more important than you, our attitude is to be, may I wash your feet? Okay? So when you think of mutual submission, I want you to think about this passage. I want you to think about foot washing. I want you to think about humility. Okay? You're being humble with one another. All right, here's our next point. Number two, a wife's submission to her husband does not negate the need for mutual submission among believers. The principle of mutual submission governs all relationships. Ray Ortland, he says this. A mentality of submission is to sweeten the entire Christian community. Okay? It should be characterizing us. Men and women both have a responsibility to submit. We both submit to God. We both submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives. But mutual submission does not replace a woman's call to submit to her husband. Okay? So, it, so when you talk about mutual submission, that is not what we're talking about when it comes to what biblical submission is to a husband. Okay. Those are what they're not. Let's talk about what it is. All right? To do that, I want us to start with verse 22, and we're going to break this verse down. Verse 22 starts, wives. Okay. Time out. I would circle the word wives. In fact, I would get into the habit of circling the word wives every time you're studying your Bible. Now, it used to be we didn't have to, but this is 2018. We live in Charlotte, North Carolina, home of the famous bathroom law. And so we, we need to be circling this word because you know what this is? This is a gender alert. 
This is a gender alert. We know that Paul is giving specific gender instruction on how we are to be distinct from our husbands. All right, here's our next point. Number one, a wife's submission to her husband is her gender-specific role. Okay, the world is telling us that there's no distinction between a husband and a wife. That panel of comedians, they thought it was very important that we understand that there is no distinction that a man can be a domesticated, nurturing homemaker, and the wife, she can be a cutthroat, aggressive, competitive, I-can-do-anything-a-man-can-do person, and that gender doesn't matter. But gender does matter to God. And being submissive to our husbands is feminine. It's feminine. You put your femininity on display when you are submissive to your husband. We're going to talk more about this. But for now, I want you to notice the word role, your gender-specific role. I would circle that. You could also put the word function in there because submission is about role and function. And in fact, gender gender is going to be about role and function. Those, those comedians that were mocking Kirk Cameron, they thought he was suggesting that, that women were somehow inferior, okay, or they were incapable of leading. So I want us to remember the gender-specific instruction. It's never implying that the husband is more important or more valuable, okay? It's going to be giving us function. It's going to be giving us our roles, and in this case, it's going to be giving us order, all right, and we're going to see that in verse 22. It says, wives submit. Let's define that word. Uh, some of your versions may say subject. All right, in Greek, it is the word hupotasso, and I have this on your papers. It's a combination of two words. Hupo means under. Tasso means to appoint, to arrange, to set in place. So you put those two together, and you get the idea of something being put in order under something. Now, the Greeks used it as a military term to describe the way troops would arrange themselves in military fashion under the command of a leader. It was also used to describe the arrangement of military implements on a battlefield in order that one might carry out effective warfare. Would you like to carry out effective warfare? Also, According to D.A. Carson, it always refers to submission in some sort of ordered array, never to mutual deference. Okay, so we're talking order. All right? Now, what I want us to notice today is that it is the wife that's doing the arranging. Okay, she's the one that's doing the aligning up under something, not the husband. The instruction is given to the wives. Okay? And we want to keep that in mind. Now, in Paul's day, during the Roman Greco culture, the men would have controlled everything. The women were already obeying and submitting to their husbands because their husbands would have forced them. Okay? But Paul, he does not address the husbands. It's like he turns his back on them. And he begins to talk directly to the wives. Okay, listen, that would have been mind-boggling to speak to the women as if they were equals and direct his instruction to them instead of talking to the husbands about their wives? Okay, the instruction is given for the wives to submit 
and a line. In other words, he doesn't tell the husbands, hey, listen, you men, you need to get your wives under control. You need to get your women under control. You need to make your wives listen. Okay, nothing like that is going on here. Okay, the instruction is for the wives. Now, what I, I want you to think of it this way. Eve was formed out of the side of Adam. Right, so you have this picture in marriage of man and woman side by side going through life. And the instruction comes to the wife to voluntarily align herself behind her husband. Okay, I am completely equal with my husband, but I voluntarily step behind and align with him. Okay, does that make sense? All right, here's our next point. Oh, I want to say this. If you've got a husband that thinks it's his job to subject you and make you listen and exercise control over you, he doesn't understand the passage. Okay, here's our next point. Number two, submission is a choice. The instruction is for wives to voluntarily submit, not for husbands to subjugate their wives. Men are not in charge of making their wives submit or trying to enforce it. According to this passage, they are in charge of loving their wives as Christ loved the church. All right, next, I want you to notice it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. You are not responsible to submit to all men like you are to your own husbands. Now, you might want to double underline the word wives because that is not only a gender alert, it's a covenant alert. Remember, we've been talking about covenant. If you're a wife, then that means you are in a covenant relationship with your husband. All right, so here's our next point. Number three, each wife is to submit to her own covenant partner, her own husband. You are not being instructed to submit to other men in the same way that you, that you would because you're not in, coven in a marriage covenant with them. All right, so how then are we to submit to our own covenant partners? Well, Paul's going to answer that. Paul tells us, we're told, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's our next point, number four. As to the Lord means that submission to your husband is a part of your obedience to the Lord. Do you want to know why the people on that panel had such issue with Kirk Cameron and a wife submitting to her own husband? Because they have a problem submitting to God and recognizing that he has authority over their lives. All right, when Paul told us to submit to our husbands as to the Lord, he was saying, wives, he was saying, ladies, this is how you submit to my authority in, over your lives. This is how you submit to my rule in your lives. You submit to your own husband. He says, ladies, you do this as an act of love to the Lord. It's unto the Lord. Do you know, I am not by nature a submissive person. That's not my nature. It's not my personality to line up behind anyone. My personality is I want to be at the front of every line. And I think everybody should wash my feet. That's my personality. That's my nature. But you know, I became a Christ follower when I was in the seventh grade. 
And he gave me a heart to obey him. He put his spirit in me so that now I am empowered. I can submit to my husband, even though that is nothing like my personality. I submit because I love Jesus. I'm always hearing and reading little quotes from actresses or celebrities or sometimes, you know, just your average woman. And they'll say things like this. My faith is really important to me. Ever say that? Listen, if your faith is important to you, then submitting to your husband is going to be important to you. Now, Paul seems to understand that we women, we might need a little more explanation about the order of these things. And so he's going to talk about that. Look again in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right. Now, the world is going to tell you that headship in the home should be based on giftedness and personality. But Paul says, oh, no, no, no. No, headship is going to be based on the example of Christ as the head of the church. The church has a head. It's Jesus. Your marriage has a head. It is your husband. All right, now here's our next point, number five. Male headship in the marriage does not imply superiority. Okay, does not imply superiority. The biggest the loudest argument that is out there against male headship in marriage and biblical submission in general is that people cannot understand or imagine headship apart from implying superiority. All right, if you watch a video clip or you read an article that's about a biblical submission or, or male headship in a marriage, you're going to see it followed with dozens, maybe hundreds, of negative comments and they're all going to bring out the same thing. They're going to say that there should be equality in marriage. The, the husband and wife, they should be equal. The wife shouldn't be inferior. So, so let's be painfully clear about this. The Bible is in no way suggesting that, that you are inferior or that your husband is head because he's, he's, he's more valuable. Now, you might read that um, passage and think that a wife is, is second fiddle or that she's... Um, Second class, less valuable than, than the man, but that's not the case. And here's how we know. Number six, submission to our husbands reminds us that authority and equality can coexist. We see it in the Trinity. Submission takes place between the Trinity. Now, we're not going to take the time to look up the verses and talk more about this, but we especially see it. You can go home and read the book of John and notice how over and over again the son is submitting to the father without losing his equality. All right now, if you have a person that has a problem with a woman submitting to her husband as is equal, then you're going to see a person that has a problem with subjection taking place between the Trinity. Okay? Now, that brings us to our next point. Number seven, the relationship between the husband and wife is unique in that it alone is compared to Christ and the church. 
Marriage is the only relationship that's compared to the relationship between Christ and the church. The relationship of siblings, the relationships of uh, parents and children, the relationships of uh, two same-sex platonic uh, friendships. Okay, nothing, nothing else in Scripture, no other relationship in Scripture is compared to Christ and the church. So marriage is unique in that. And now what I want, here's what I want you to notice. Notice that our feminine gender-specific role is to reflect the part of the church. Okay? And this helps us to understand the extent of our submission. Verse 24 says this, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This tells you the scope of our submission. Are you ready? Everything. And that word in the Greek for everything means everything. Okay, we are to line up behind our husbands and everything. Okay, so, here, so here's what it, it is. It doesn't mean you negotiate. It doesn't mean you say, okay, listen, you're the man, honey. You can be in charge of sex and finances, but I'm going to take charge of the kids and our schedules. Okay, no, no, no. No. Um, remember, egalitarians, they're the ones that say there is no head. Or they're the ones that might say that there are two heads, that you're both heads. Now, Vody Bauckham has an interesting way of uh, addressing that. He says the only thing with two heads are monsters. Okay? Anyway, a popular thinking says that all decisions are to be made jointly or by giftedness. Now, I spent six years working at a bank when I was first married. And so I got pretty good at the finances and all things financial. So I was the one that took care of writing the checks. I was the one that took care of balancing the checkbook and paying the bills. And, and, I, and I had my, uh, I was pretty much in control of the money. And my husband was glad that I was doing those things. So in many ways, we were working according to our giftedness. Okay, but there were times where we didn't agree about money. And, and I would come to it and think, well, I'm the expert on this. I think we should do it my way. I think you should submit to me. And my husband, he's on the other side going, well, I am more business savvy than you. So I think that you should submit to me. I think you should do it my way. Well, what do you do? Well, what do you do in a case like that where you can't agree? We both thought we were gifted in the area, and to be honest with you, in, in many ways, we both were right. So what do you do? Should a wife have to submit when she is clearly more qualified to make the decision? I want you to hear me on this. Because our giftedness is irrelevant. It's really irrelevant. Now, I want to explain that. Because a wise man, a wise man will have sense and he will recognize his wife. He will seek her opinion. He will hear her thoughts. He will listen and, and appreciate her giftedness. But in the end, our giftedness is irrelevant. Now, how can I say that? Because our model, our model is as the church submits to Christ. That's the example that we have been given. Okay? So we are to submit to him in all things. In those times of conflict, 
in those times when you have differing views, when you cannot agree, God asks the wife to submit her will. He asks the wife to voluntarily line up behind the husband. But what if you're more intelligent, like the comedian suggested? What if you're more educated? Statistics tell us you probably will be. Or what if you're more spiritually mature? I mean, what if you're daily reading your Bible and you're daily praying and you come to Bible studies and your husband, he barely cracks open his Bible? Or maybe he's not even a Christian at all. What about that? Surely then you should be the head. You're the more spiritually mature one. But no. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. Why? Because our model is as the church subjects to Christ. That's, that's our example. Here's our next point, number eight. Since our example is Christ and the church, we are to be submissive to our husbands in all things, regardless of their qualifications or shortcomings. Elizabeth Elliot was famous to say, God's word does not give us footnotes. You might uh, want to draw an arrow in your Bibles from that word everything to the phrase as Christ submits to the church. All right, now there is, however, a caveat to this because your husband is not perfect like Jesus. And here's our next point. Number nine, submission does not mean that you must follow your husband into sin. Okay, you do not have to follow. You are never to submit to sin. Okay, and you could actually draw another line from the word everything to the phrase as unto the Lord. You are submitting as unto the Lord. Okay, so if your husband, say he asks you to lie or to cheat or to steal, or maybe he comes along and he says to you, I don't want you praying anymore, or I don't want you reading your Bible anymore. Okay, in those cases, you are going to respectfully explain to him that you must obey God rather than man. Okay, now some of you are thinking, well, my husband isn't asking me to sin, uh, he's just lazy. Or maybe he wants to just uh, play video games all day. Or maybe he spends money faster than he can make it. Or maybe he's just not disciplining the children like you do. He doesn't deserve to be the head. Can I tell you that after being involved with women's ministries for over 30 years, that a godly man is very rare? They are rare gems. And even the godly ones make mistakes. And so submission, when you come down to it, for the wives, it becomes a real faith issue. At its very root, submission is a trust issue. Not trust in your husbands, but trust in God. Here's our next point. It's a quote from Susan Hunt. She says this, number 10. Submission is simply a demonstration of a wife's confidence in the sovereign power of the Lord of God, of the Lord God. We just spent an entire semester studying, excuse me, the providence and sovereignty of God. Submission is going to be one of the ways that you exercise faith in that. 
All right, look again at verse 31. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All right, when Paul used that expression mystery... Okay, he is talking about something that wasn't fully understood in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. He's telling them that marriage is a picture. It's an illustration of Christ and the church. Now, we've talked about this in week one. Marriage is not just about you finding a nice guy and starting a family. It's not just about you finding your soulmate and being happy. You see, the minute that Paul compared marriage to Christ and the church, he made it spiritual. He made it so much bigger than our earthly concerns. In fact, he just made a lot of our earthly concerns about marriage irrelevant. You see, because now it's not just a matter of me being better at the finances. Now it's not just a matter of me having a say in how we spend the tax refund check or how we're going to handle the discipline. Paul, he changed all that when he compared marriage to Christ and the church. The love of a husband, the submission of the wife, is to ultimately represent Jesus and the church. In other words, the watching world should be able to look at my marriage and have a better understanding of Christ and the church. And if I am not submitting to my husband, if I am not respectfully and joyfully submitting to my husband, how can I possibly give an accurate portrayal of Christ in the church? Now, what will this look like in your home? What is it going to look like on a daily basis in your home? Here's our next point. Number 11, submission is not so much an action as it is an attitude. If you were here for the womanhood courses, we talked about this. Author Mary Cassian wrote this, Submission boils down to having a spirit of amenability. It means being soft, receptive, responsive, and agreeable. That word amenable or amenable can be pronounced either way. It means that a woman is leadable as opposed to ungovernable. It means responsive to input and likely to cooperate. Does that describe you? Are you leadable? Are you likely to cooperate? If I were to be able to secretly watch the way you and your husband relate to, no, to one another, what would characterize your disposition toward him? Now, I want to talk a little bit about the attitude and disposition, and I want to give you three things that need to be evident in that attitude, and I want you to write them right next to that word attitude. All right, here we go. Number one, respect. Number two, respect. Number three, Respect. Just write that word all over your paper. Okay? Respect. And we're going to see why. Take a look at verse 33. Matthew, Ephesians 5.33 says this. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife, okay, you're going to circle that, 
because that's a gender alert. We're about to get gender-specific instruction. Here's what it is. See that she respects her husband. Not only is Paul giving us distinct um, gender instruction, but he's also giving us some insight into manhood. Okay? He is telling us women what men need. He's telling us women what men crave. Wives, respect your husbands. Your husbands crave respect. Our respect is the wind beneath their wings, so to speak. Listen to what author Mark Gunger wrote. He said this. So what is it that men want? In a word, men want respect. That means a man wants to be held in esteem and to be shown consideration and appreciation, even when he makes mistakes. He wants to be seen as a hero, especially in the eyes of his bride. He needs someone to believe in him when the odds are stacked against him. End quote. What, what exactly are we to be respecting? Well, for starters, his headship, his gender-specific role. Let me ask you, how would you describe your attitude towards your husband? Does your disposition say, I respect your headship? Does your disposition say, I respect that you are leader of our home? Does it say, my hero, I respect your leadership in our home? Um, I'd like to get very practical. What if someone were to ask you, or what if they were to ask your children, who wears the pants in your family? Who's in charge? Who's running the show? Who's in control? Because it better not be your mother. (laughs) Now, why is that? Because the church doesn't boss Jesus. The church doesn't boss Jesus. The church is not the head. Jesus is the head. And our part is to display the church. Your husbands are to lead. He's the head. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, my husband won't lead. That's been one of the most common complaints that I've heard over the years. I have to do it because he won't. Some of you may be here and you may be thinking that your husband isn't capable of leading, that you do a better job. Some of you might be thinking, I'm not sure who's leading. We kind of take turns. Well, we've talked about this before. John Piper had a good suggestion. He said a good way to determine who's leading is to watch for who's saying let's the most. Who's saying let's the most in in your situation? For me, I decided that I wanted to be agreeable. I wanted to be leadable. And I wanted to encourage my husband to be the leader. And so one of the first steps for me was to recognize when it was taking place. And if he was doing it, I wanted to get on board and be supportive and encourage it. And if I was doing it, then I wanted to resist and stop doing it. So let me give you an example. My husband calls me up and he says, hey, um, let's go out for dinner. And then we'll stop at Lowe's afterward. I say, okay, I like going out to dinner. That was an easy one. 
So I get in the car, and usually he'll say to me, uh, where, where do you want to go? What do you feel like? He's nice like that. He, he, almost, he always asks me where I would like to go. But this night he says this, uh, let's go to so-and-so. Oh, well, that's not what I wanted. I had something else in mind. Okay, so now I got a choice. Now I got a choice. I can either tell him how I feel, and then we can start negotiating. I could even maybe just manipulate things and not even tell him how I feel and get him to take me where I want to go. Or, or I can say, hey, wait a minute. He just said let's. He's leading. He's being ahead. And you know what? I like when he does that. I want him to do that. And so I thought, okay. Yeah, that's a, I, I said, I'm going to be agreeable. I said, okay, let, yeah, that sounds lovely. That sounds like a lot of fun. All right, now, sometime after that, he came home and he said, I need a check to give so-and-so. Okay, now that's a little different because now we're not just talking about a restaurant selection. We're talking about spending some money, spending a lot of money on something I don't want. And so I say, I, I thought you weren't going to do that. And he said, no, no, we need to. We need to do this. He said, we've prayed about it. I've given this a lot of thought. I need you to go get me that check. Okay, so now i got a choice. i got a choice. I could dig in and put my heels in and say, what, what, that's a lot of money. Can't we just talk about this some more? Because that's, you know, are you, are you sure you want to do that? I, I had other plans for that money. I could become critical. I could tell him, this is such a waste of money. This is so unnecessary. I have just so many other things I'd rather be doing with this money. I could become really sassy and tell him, I am just totally against this. If you're all so excited about that, go get your own check. And I just wipe my hands of everything. Or I could trust God. I could trust. I could trust God. I can say, dear Lord, this is hard. This is hard, but I'm going to trust you. Do you see me down here? I am lining up behind my husband. I am, I am lining up behind my husband because it's you I trust. Because it's you I trust. Ladies, I'm sad that I didn't do this better with my children in the home. But you know what? They still got eyes. And I got six grandbabies. And so I have decided that I don't want to just submit to my husband's authority. I want to do it well. I want to do it well. Now, my last point is I want to leave you with an assignment. I want you to go home, and I want you to ask your husbands, do you feel respected? Do you feel like I joyfully submit and respect your headship in the home? I want you to find out, and don't be mad if you don't like the answer. Get busy. Get busy submitting to God 
and loving Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Father, my prayer is that we as women can find the joy and the pleasure of submitting to our husbands and putting on display the beauty of the church's submission. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, ladies, next week there is no abide. So you have, Tuesday, you have next Tuesday off. Two weeks after that, we take on the topic of intimacy. So you've got two weeks to study for that one. Okay, see you in two weeks.